America, my name is I'm Yosef Frimpong. I don't know how much of the last video actually took, but I'm just going to start from the beginning. Today we're going to talk about VOTEPs. Now, VOTEP is a term of endearment, ah, the term of complication that I give to people who tell you, black people, that voting is the most important thing they can do. Voting is the most important thing that they can do, that their life depends on their vote, and our freedom depends on their vote. Our freedom does not depend on your vote, black people. Our freedom depends on changing the consciousness of America and punishing the sociopaths, or at least like depowering them. Um, so you could do that through a vote, but the end game isn't just voting, because electing more Democrats... See, I'm, I'm from California, state run by Democrats. I spent... Years in the Bay Area, an area run by Democrats, and then I lived in Chicago for a stretch, run by Democrats, and then I went to, um, uh, uh, got a master's outside of Boston, and you know what? A lot of Democrats are there too. Every one of those places, black people are not doing very well, so it's not as if Democrats are going to save you black people. Um, and voting for Democrats is not going to save you, and especially voting for the Democrats we have right now. What is going to save us is we need to actually change the water in America. And you can do that through the electoral process a bit, but you can do that through other, you do that through fighting where you're at. So if you have a, uh, a situation where you could either uh, vote or start a book club that reads like most of Baradaran's The Color of Money or Sandy Darity, William Darity's uh, From Here to Equality, I actually think it's more politically important for you to, you know, do the book club where you read from here to equality. Or you just fight where you're at, especially if you're in some sort of education um, uh, uh, profession. You fight where you're at and you fight hard for black people on the job. Like you're a revolutionary all, all, all day, every day, in every aspect. I'm about to teach... Uh, I'm about to teach logic and critical thinking. And at the end of the semester, they'll learn logic and critical thinking. They'll also be revolutionaries. I'm very good at my job. And that's, I mean, I could teach Spanish. I could, like, I could teach all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, they will also be revolutionaries. Uh, I, had a, I was joking around with a French teacher. And she's like, well, you know, I teach French. But I guess I could, um, I guess I could radicalize my students while teaching French. I'm like, yeah. Uh, this is, <laughs> I strike. We strike, you strike, all together now. <laughs> I strike, we strike. So like there is a, like revolution can come in all sorts of forms and we need to revolutionize it all. So whatever you're doing, fight where you're at. If you're a parent, um, there's a great, if you're a parent, you need to do your, you need to think about revolutionary parenting because if you're not thinking about revolutionary parenting, you'll end up like Susan Rice. And Susan Rice, I say Susan Rice because she might be a, our, um, our, our next VP. But you know what? Susan Rice's son is at Stanford and he is the president of the Stanford College Republicans. So, you know, she failed, right? So there's a way in which that's a form of failure. If you can't even convince your kid to be a Democrat, like, that means either you don't stand for anything, or Democrats don't stand anything, or you're just bad at being a parent. 
You got your kid this. You, if I get my kid to Stanford, and but like she's also, I have a handful of daughters and a son, but she's also a Republican. I've done it wrong. Like I've screwed up parenting. So Susan and I screwed up parenting. I'm sure, like you know, I don't know if that matters. Um, <laughs> not like Joe Biden's a great parent. I think he screwed up parenting too. So a lot of people screw up parenting because they don't see that as an avenue of the struggle. There's a great book by Corey Robin. I'm going to give you, I'm looking at the, uh, um, the article on, on Rice's son. There's a great book by Corey Robin called The Reactionary Conservative. And it's about how these elite, elite Democrats, you know, are big hypocrites. And then their kids, instead of being hypocrites, they just become real elitists, like unabashed. And they're like, what happened to my kid? How could that ever happen? Well, because you're always a hypocrite. Like, they learned it from watching you, except they just didn't want to go through all of the BS stories that you told yourself. And uh, they became, like, real jerks, as opposed to fake ones. All right, so this is Susan Rice's kid at Stanford, like, you know, head of the, the Stanford Republicans, because Susan Rice is bad at being a parent. And he can say, how could you be bad at being a parent? He went to Stanford. Well, you know, part of being a parent is not raising a jerk. And, and, like, and uh, yeah, so that's a problem. So fight where you're at. And if you're at voting, I guess go vote. But don't, don't go with the fiction that voting is the most important thing to do or electing Democrats is the most important thing to do. Look, Joe Biden could win this next, next election and then we could sweep in you know, Congress and the Senate. You know what will happen? The Democrats will spend eight years complaining that they can't do anything about the courts. Because of the courts, oh, we have to like, not do anything because of the courts. At the end of the day, the Democrats are not your friends because we have a bad electorate. The electorate is conservative. The electorate has broken politics. So you fix the electorate's politics. And you don't necessarily fix the electorate by nominating company Democrats. For example, Trump. Trump, say what you want about Trump, but he's taught the nation a lot, raised our consciousness about what a deficit means. It took a guy who's been bankrupt you know, six or seven times. <laughs> I don't know how many times he's been bankrupt. I just, every time I open the paper, I remember in 2000, he's going to be bankrupt for something. So it took a guy who was filing bankruptcy every now and then to teach people about debt. Real quickly, debt isn't, federal debt isn't what you think it is when you have, when you're a country like the U.S. who has both nukes and we print our own money. We print our own money and we have nukes. So pretty much our money's worth what we say it is when we say it is as long as we can produce as in keep up production. Right? So the deficit's just a number we put for the money we, the government prints out and through the banks versus the money that the government takes back through taxes. It's a deficit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter unless it leads to inflation. Inflation is a problem, but there are indicators for inflation and you deal with it as, infl as, a, as, as you'd like. But since we're uh, underproducing, we just have to kick up production. So as long as you're not spending money in ways that aren't productive or that won't lead to um, an increase in production, then the deficit doesn't matter because the dollar will stay strong. And even inflation isn't generalized, right? So you look at college tuition, inflation. You look at college textbook, inflation. You look at food. Not really. It's like a little bit more expensive over the last 15, 20 years, but like kind of, you know, it's... it's, it's takes up, right? And then if you look at some things like TVs, they're cheaper, right? So 
inflation's good specific. So as long as we look at the infl and the inflationary goods and fi and figure out why they are being inflated, maybe we we privilege them too much in some ways, or we have like targeted supports, we can deal with inflation. All right? I mean, this is a, we fix prices with milk. We can fix prices with college, so we can deal with inflation. But it took Trump to tell to to just spend because the federal government's eaten some four trillion dollars in bad debt. Um, so it took the federal government to like just it took Trump to teach America that federal debt isn't like our pocketbook debt. And black people, we take our pocketbook debt pretty seriously. There's a study came out by Demos, and I think Darity had his name on this one too, that argued that black people actually our saving rates are lower than our white counterparts. So we say fine. But the federal debt is not the same as um, uh, our personal debt. But convincing you that the federal debt is the same as our personal debt is will screw up your politics, and that's even more important than your vote, right? So we need people, in a way we needed Trump to explode the debt the way only a Republican could, in the same way that, say, Clinton could only pass a crime bill, pass a crime bill in a way that only a, a Democrat could. We needed Trump to explode the, de explode the debt and then find out that, like, oh, yeah, it's not that big of a deal because there are all these other factors like productivity that, that factor into whether the debt matters. And so we print more money to pay off interest payments. Yeah, that's fine. As long as productivity goes up and like a lot of this debt's bought back by Americans. So that doesn't matter. It's not, and you can say, well, you know, we pay Chinese debt and Russian oh, have our debt too. Yeah, but as long as we're out producing them, it doesn't really matter. Or as long as their production doesn't um, degrade our production and consumption, it doesn't really matter. As long as the dollar stays strong, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it took Trump to do that. So raising consciousness is more important than voting, despite what the votes have say. And there's a problem because a lot of these Democrats will confuse you. I think Obama's biggest legacy is that he spent eight years confusing Americans about what justice demands. We came out so confused, we elected Trump. Trump offers a kind of clarity, which I think is good for our democracy. A variety of clarity. Now, as long as Trump doesn't actually like the danger, the great danger of a Trump presidency is that he can use the executive power to kind of undercut information, right? the inst institutional control. Right? You can't consciousness raise if I get kicked off of YouTube because I'm a black identity terrorist or whatever. So, but until I get kicked out of YouTube, like he's very clarifying, right? So, um, the goal is to, history produces by people becoming more self-aware of what freedom demands and then institutionalizing that. That's how history kind of moves along. That's an advance in history. People become more self-aware about what freedom demands and then they change their organizations and habits and traditions and all of that in accordance with freedom through whatever mediated form it is, right? So we get this wrong because we say, oh, property is good, so we have a property fetish. And then we say, oh, no, choice is good, and we have a choice fetish. And we say, oh, this is good. We have, um, uh, you know, community is good, so we have a community fetish. All of these kind of spheres of freedom have to work together, but as they work together and come to be modified in terms of each other, that's kind of the progress of history. Right? There's a guy named Hegel who talks about this. Um, but at the end of the day, just know that confusing people about freedom in their lives is more dangerous than, um, uh, it's just very dangerous, right? It's more dangerous than what you think it is. And so Trump's contribution in clarifying 
both federal debts and just like white supremacy was actually more instructive than Obama spending eight years confusing us. Because remember, Obama about 15 years ago today said, 16 years ago today said, there is no black America, there is no white America, there is the United States of America. But that's just not true. Either Obama's lying or Mercer Baradaran, and Mercer Baradaran wrote this great book called The Color of Money. Here's a clip of her saying the opposite. One of them is telling the truth. We really understand that we have a racial divide and um, a lot of that is rooted in history, a history that we have yet to confront. Um, we need to confront that history. And, and on the policy aspect, the way to close the wealth gap, we know how to do it because we've done it for white Americans. We did it after the Great Depression. We know how to do it. The mixed economy, banks, government, you, you know, secure mortgages, you make them risk-free. We did it. It didn't cost very much money. It actually increased money. Right? We just have refused to do it for black communities. And so if we're going to talk about it, we've got to talk about it in a way that is um, federal, large, and that targets the problem, which is segregation, concentrated poverty, all of that stuff. And, and it, but it takes looking at the history in an honest way instead of saying, oh, well, Martin Luther King gave the speech, and now we aren't going to judge people by the color of their skin. And so, good, we're over. And you know, it's like the John Roberts rewriting. He says, the way to stop racial discrimination is to stop discriminating based on race. And what he meant was, we are now colorblind. And what we realized is we're actually not colorblind. We've never been colorblind. So we have to see color again and look at it in a way that is, recognizes the history of color. We have to, to really understand. So that was Moshe Baradaran saying, either I'm right or Barack, Obama, or Barack Obama's right. She didn't say that, but I don't know, you could read. So either Barack Obama was telling a little fiction in order to get elected in 2004, or Mercer Broadron's bad at her job as a wealth economist, as a lawyer of bank and historians of, of a historian of like money. I think Mercer Broadron's telling the truth and Barack Obama was telling little stories in order to get elected because if you say like, look, black people, you're broke. They've taken your money and then having paid it back and you need to elect me so that I can use the force of government to confiscate your wealth and distribute it back to where it belongs. If Barack Obama had said that, it would have been more truthful. Um, but it also, he probably wouldn't have won the election. But the truth would have been more powerful in a way. Right? The truth would have been more powerful because people, you, you can't make good decisions about your life if you're confused about your situation. We've got a lot of confused black people in these United States and they're confused by design because if you control the black mind, you control the black behind. So there's a lot of money that goes into, a good amount of money goes into the black confusion industry. Um, and so if we can fight where we are to get our people unconfused, it doesn't matter if Republicans win. It doesn't matter if Democrats win. Um, if our people are not confused and if everybody in America is clarified about what the fight is. Right? We, have, we need to be honest about Selma. Anybody who's been to Selma in the last 20 years knows that place is a hole. It's a pit. You know, I, uh, I did a segment on this on, on, on Rising and I think they have it on embargo because they're, they're scared that people will be, people, well, I say that in the segment and I think they're scared that um, one Selma residents will be like, no, we have pride in our place. No, anybody from Selma knows that place is a whole. Like anybody from like the black, uh, <laughs> like anybody from Jackson who actually like lives in Jackson and knows Jackson knows that Jackson needs help. And there's uh, 50 years, 100 years of deferred maintenance in the, in the American South. 
So it's not like there's like it's not like there's some real pride in that degradation. There's like this is the situation, we're doing the best we can. But no, we don't have the resources to do all the deferred maintenance and the labor to do all the deferred maintenance that needs to be done to make these places not like events a very poor nation within a wealthy nation, right? So there's this idea that you can't be honest about black poverty and black degradation in the rural South, but you can actually, because the people there, the people who actually live there will be like, yep. Anybody who lives in Selma will be like, yeah, that place is not very good. My, my parents are from, uh, my mom's from Lake City, South Carolina. Lake City, South Carolina, not the greatest place, not a place you want to be, right? Um, so if you uh, voting for any Democrat, even if the Democrat will confuse the electorate about the state of black life is not a winning proposition if you care about black freedom, right? So you can't, the goal is raising consciousness and you raise consciousness through the struggle. Okay, I'll, I'll get it once I'm done. My, my daughter's, my, my daughter's uh, talking to me right now. Hold on. I have to do the show for the people. Ah, no, I know. All right, so the goal is raising consciousness because we're, we're in a democracy. So if the electorate's dumb or the electorate's confused about what justice needs, it doesn't really matter who the, who the uh, elected officer is um, because like, they're going to say, like, well, you know, we have to follow the electorate or I can't really... Uh, the, the people aren't behind us, and so we can't do it. And this is one reason why I like Cori Bush, right? So Cori Bush just won out of um, St. Louis, the first district of St. Louis. She's free. She sounds like someone who's clarifying the problem. You listen to Cori Bush, you become smarter about what Americans need, right? And that is, that is what one representative can do because we have, what, 435 representatives in, in, in Congress. So... Um, it's not as if, it's not as if one person can, 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 I don't know, magically magic legislation through. What happens is you need a voting majority and the only way you get a voting majority is if you change the electorate, but you can't change the electorate if you tell the truth to the electorate. So what one representative can do and what one representative should do is actually tell the truth to the electorate. And what an elected office does is give you a microphone. That's not just attached to like, you know, your home studio, but it is attached to Fox News or MSNBC. That's what an elected office does. A lot of people are scared to use that microphone because if you use that microphone the way I would use that microphone, it might, might screw up your after work, <laughs> it might screw up your lobbying. But if you actually use that microphone, um, that is what you can do as an elected official. That's my, at this stage, that is the most important part of being an elected official. That is the most important part of being an elected official. So, because you can't do anything with an electorate that doesn't, that blames itself or that blames the wrong people for the wrong things. It doesn't know what freedom looks like or what it entails. Right? So I try to give a quality of political education every week that will clarify the fight. Right? And right now the fight isn't necessarily voting for Democrats. Like nothing will come very little will come for, for voting with Democrats, voting for Democrats because of Democrats. You vote for Democrats because they'll clarify the fight. And insofar as Democrats will not clarify the fight, you might not want to vote for them because a confused electorate does a lot of damage. A confused electorate does a lot of damage. Um, 
So what I'm going to do is tell you to beware of Voteps. I, you know, I like Stacey Abrams fine. We met twice. She's as smart as anyone I know. I know, but like, don't trust her if you actually care about um, going forward in freedom. She's going to tell you just to vote, vote, vote. And voting is the most important. But she also has bills to pay and aspirations, personal aspirations. So like, voting might be good for her, but not, might not be good for us. It's just good for her career. Right? So there are all sorts of Voteps who will tell you the same thing. Um, so unless the people are clarifying the fight, then don't vote for them because they're doing damage if they're Democrats. And like I said, there's a handiness in having Trump in an opposition party uh, insofar as he inflames all of these parts of America that, are, that we are told don't exist. I mean, I know they exist, you know they exist, but with the company line is that they don't exist, but that company line is dangerous. The company line is dangerous. So thank you for your time. And I will see you next week. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more, and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time. Because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro, so. Um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash. And the site takes credit cards.